Blog Talk Radio. Straight intro. Wow, way to start the show. Well, it's a, another Wednesday night. Thank God the Eagles beat the Cowgirls, which is great. And Frank and I were discussing before, before the program got what the other day. I can introduce our, our, our host, uh, Mr. Roger Hunter, uh, Philadelphia fame, Hall of Famer, and Mr. Frank Harris. Mr. Roy Cummings. Cummings. Hey, he's back at intro. I'm uh, sorry, Frank? I thought he was very clear and 
the way he assessed the performance, not only of himself, but of the entire offensive team. No, you're right. And, uh, look, we don't expect anything else from Tom Brady. He's as honest as they come. Uh, that's what we're finding out here in Tampa, as we hear from him on a regular basis. Um, he never plays up a victory as being too big, you know, any bigger than it is. Uh, he doesn't usually play up a loss as being any bigger than it is. But he's very honest, and uh, and he comes forward and says, look, uh, that's on me. I didn't play well. That's on us. We didn't play well. And, I look, I, I, I hope fans do too. I know media members like us, we appreciate that honesty. And uh, I think that's great stuff. But, uh, but it's, you know, it's a good point. And, and I think when, what's good for the Bucks to me is when a guy like Tom Brady is pointing that out, there's, there's no room to hide. There's nowhere to hide. He's going he's gonna to bring that up in the team meeting on Monday uh, or, in this case, Tuesday or Wednesday. He's going to be bringing it up, uh, you know, regularly throughout the week as they practice. Uh, they're going to hear from him that uh, what we've been doing, guys, isn't good enough. We're 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 getting away with something here, and if we expect to beat uh, New Orleans on Sunday and, and some better some of the better teams we got coming up in the schedule here, Kansas City, et cetera, uh, we're going to, have to play better football. Roger. Hey, Roy. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you a couple of things. Uh, one was about Brady. The uh... Uh, before I get to that, uh, Ray Dinger, Hall of Famer, we've had him on the show. You know, you know him. Uh, he made a statement today on a piece that he does uh, on WIP that the uh, NFC East is the worst division in the history of the NFL, and I agree <laughs> with that. I'm, and I'm 77. Okay, so I've, I've seen the Eagles since that the 50s. Don's seen them even earlier. But the other thing is, um, the, the uh, talking about uh, uh, Brady, the, what was interesting is that he plays with a chip on his shoulder. And what they're talking about in Philadelphia is because he was a six-round draft pick, that they want Carson Wentz to get that way and have a chip on his shoulder. And I thought it was a perfect analogy because you look at a 42-year-old quarterback still going strong, and now we know about what the Patriots are without Tom Brady. Not nearly yes. as good. Uh, that's a great point, Roger. Uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, uh, you know, look, you know, we, we you hear it, you know, from afar because, you know, let's face it, we didn't see Tom Brady every Sunday uh, here in Tampa. and But you hear that he's a guy who hates to lose. You know, he probably hates to lose more than he likes to win, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, you're right. Uh a guy like Carson Wentz, is, you'd love to see him develop that. But, guys, I think that's something that's, that's just in you. I mean, there, yes, and Tom Brady right. is – yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those guys who, for him, it's 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 just like another – you know, it's like another persona for him or another psyche. It's just – you can see it here. He absolutely hates, uh, you know, playing poorly, losing – um, I mean, you saw him against – there was a moment in the game against the Giants where he's banging the helmet against the uh, against the bench as he's getting ready to sit down, clearly frustrated and just fired up over the fact that, you know, he, he missed a, a throw in the last series. And, and it's like, wait a minute, you're, you're facing the Giants. A lot of people would say to Tom Brady in that case, settle down, Tom. We got this. We'll, we'll take care of it. Tom Brady doesn't accept that. He, he just – I mean, he has got a, a fire in him that is rare, even among athletes. And, um, yeah, it's one thing to hope that Carson Wentz gets that. 
But I don't know that Carson Wentz has it. And if you don't have it, I don't think you can just develop it. I don't think that's a fire. I agree can, with you. You can create. I agree with you 100%, Roy. Absolutely. you got to have it within you to get it. Well, yeah, there's a couple of things that you might want to touch on, and that would be uh, I thought, Todd, but we talked uh, over the last couple of weeks how uh, the difference between the Tampa 2 and what we're seeing with Todd Bowles right now uh, with the attack, attack, attack. And I think you could really even look at this game in, in uh, uh, different portions of the game. For instance, I thought White played a pretty good game. I thought Peter Paul played a very, very good game. I thought he was very, very active, especially on that play way to the outside where he covered half the field and made the tackle. Uh, and Bennett, of course, played well. I thought the defense, uh, there were three players I would single out as having had pretty good games. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, obviously, Jamel Dean is uh, on the other side of that coin. Uh, not a good game at all for him. But you're right. Um, they got a good, You know, I thought Adamic and Sue actually came up big uh, in a couple of moments where they really needed to play as well. Um, look, the defense has been is much stronger. They didn't blitz as much in this game. Uh, they were a little bit more um, lenient with that. But at the end of the day, they, they blitzed when they needed to and put the pressure on when they had to. And uh, but, but right. you know, let's face it, they're not a good game for their secondary. Uh, again, because they were in position to get beat on a couple of real long throws. And, and again, as I said before, uh, if Daniel Jones connects on a couple of those, uh, we're talking uh, about a, a Bucks loss here. So, uh, But you're right. Those three players uh, certainly uh, played extremely well. And, uh, you know, so they're, the, the defense is humming right now. There, there is no doubt about it. They're dictating uh, the tempo. Uh, they're blitzing ex- extremely effectively. And uh, if they can keep doing that, uh, this is this is a pretty solid team for sure. Ray, one of the problems on Sunday was that the line seemed to just fold on him a couple times. Now, when you take a look at the right side of the line, now you got Marpet and uh, Marpet and uh, Golson going out. Um, that's going to make some major holes there. Uh, do you think he's going to be able to survive that, especially given the uh, given the fact that they're paying the uh, the uh, Saints? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Frank, because let's face it. Uh, look, there's no question. Ali Marpet is the best lineman the Bucks have. They have lost mm-hmm. their best uh, player up front. Um, and the line has been playing well. Let's give them credit, too. Um, they've done a real good job of protecting Tom Brady. Tom Brady's done a great job of, uh, you know, uh, kind of figuring out exactly how much time he's got to make the throws. Uh, they've given him time when he's needed it. Uh, you know, he's got hit hit a little bit here and there, but uh, overall the line has played well. They've opened up some holes for Ronald Jones, uh, done it for Leonard Fournette, you know, a few times. But um, you're right. Uh, this, is the, this is the real – look, this has always been the biggest question uh, for the Bucks, certainly offensively, and some people would say uh, overall, is what happens if they lose a body up front on the offensive line. Well, now they have, and they've lost, lost the best one. This is a team that is not deep talent-wise at that position. It's very deep, uh, obviously, uh, at tight end, deep at wide receiver, deep at, uh, at linebacker, uh, pretty deep in the defensive line, um, a lot of young depth in the secondary, uh, depth at running back, but not depth at, uh, at the, on offensive line. So this is a great question. How do they measure up now without – uh, Ellie Marpet. The good news is they got plenty of time to game plan for it. 
um, but you're losing your best run blocker, your best pass protector uh, on a side where, you know, you've got issues as it is with uh, Donovan Smith protecting Tom Brady. So uh, you got to think that um, Cameron Jordan's going to have a he, – he, he's going to be teeing off here, and they're going to move him around a lot, and they're going to try to take advantage of that, uh, that loss. Roger? Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to uh, talk about the uh, Giants a little bit because – they really are uh, in a dump, in a dumper. But I think that uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see their next game, which the Eagles uh, play them up at the Meadowlands, uh, to see how they respond after uh, that that game. And I think they had to buy this week too, how uh, the Giants did. But uh, I just think that you know there's just several teams, including the Bucks that are in a very high state in the NFL, along with Kansas City, which may be at even the highest. And, uh, and I think it's at the point now that you have the upper and the lower, and there's, there's just very few in between. Do you, you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I do. Um, it's, it's, it's right now it's a league of the haves and have-nots. There's um, you, you got some, some, you know, again, and, and that's usually the way the league goes. You, you, you figure out there's a you know three or four sometimes five if you're lucky uh, truly elite teams and um, sometimes you know usually one every year there's there's one that's a bit of a surprise uh, comes up from I wouldn't say necessarily out of nowhere but kind of new to the you know new to the group and uh, last year was San Francisco uh, this year it's Tampa Bay uh, San Francisco is obviously struggling yeah I look we we still haven't seen New Orleans play as well as they can um the the Packers have kind of slipped a few times the Bucks have slipped as we said at the beginning of the the segment um I I still think that Seattle is the best team in the NFC uh and we'll we'll see if Tampa Bay is better we may see in the NFC championship game um but um I still think they're the best uh, but there's other teams that can uh, that can challenge them. Tampa Bay is definitely one of them. But you're right. There, there, there's a there's there's some haves, and then there's a bunch of have-nots. Roy, two points. One, uh, winning, winning, winning. That's the bottom line. And Antonio Brown is there. Today was his first day, and uh, uh, you know you got if you want to win, I guess you have to make accommodations for whatever. And the other thing I'm concerned about now is you look at the papers today and yesterday. There's a, a not really a small smothering of the virus, but uh, enough to me to concern me that it's starting to pick up a little bit around the league. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first on Antonio Brown, you know what? Good for him. He won the press conference. Um, that's uh, a lot of times. That's step one. Uh, that that'll give him a little bit of leeway, but um, let's see if he really means what he says. Uh, he's got to really, you know. Stay on the straight and narrow line here, and uh, and follow a lot of protocols uh, because of the coronavirus. Uh, let's see if he can do it. Let's see how he's going to feel when he isn't targeted 12 times a game. A um, lot of bodies out there that deserve the ball in that Bucks offense, uh, uh, and a couple of them are guys that he probably didn't even know existed, uh, including Scotty Miller, uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, some of those types. So. Um, Let's see how he feels. Miller's been his go-to guy, hasn't he, Roy? I mean, seems to be that when he does the play play, he goes to Miller. Yeah, I mean, he basically sees him as his new Julian Edelman uh, uh, 
uh, is Wes Welker. That's he he loves for whatever reason. He loves those little guys who can get open uh, in the zones underneath and and what Miller's got that some of those guys didn't necessarily have. Or, yeah, he's got speed exactly. to get downfield too, and uh, so he's exactly. he's a he's a weapon in a lot of ways. And and you just you know look, this is what Tom Brady does. He takes players who other quarterbacks probably can't turn into stars, and he turns them into stars or turns them into right. you know top level players. And and that's what he's done. As for the coronavirus guys, you know look, the NFL the NFL's kind of been fudging things as it is, uh, not necessarily going with. You know, there, there's certain apparently there's certain degrees of infection. I mean, if you're infected, you're infected, but you can be infected. You know, two percent, eight percent, thirty-eight percent, a hundred percent, and it's not necessarily symptom related. But what the NFL apparently has been doing is, well, if somebody tests, you know, positive, and you know, it's like an eight percent test or uh, positive of the of, of virus, uh, a virus in the body. Uh, we're not going to count that as a positive test, you know, because that's not really dangerous or something. And well, now it's, it's, it's catching up to them. And so now whatever, you know, gauge they're using, uh, suddenly a lot of people are catching it. I don't know if it's because players have become, uh, you know, kind of confident that they can go out and do some things that they weren't doing before that, uh, uh, they're immune to it, but uh, look, as it as it as the case, number of cases spike here across the country, it's spiking in the NFL, and I think it's time for the NFL to call up, uh, you know, the folks at the NBA and the NHL and even Major League Baseball. Though that'd be the third one I'd call and say, "All right, I know you had the bubble, but you know what did you do? Because we got to figure this out. And we got to figure it out in a hurry." And then maybe that's why you call the NFL or Major League Baseball and say, all right, look, you had a couple of issues with two or three teams here um, that, that made it look pretty bad. We could be heading down the same road. You know, what did you do to make sure that everybody got on board here? And Because uh, they're going to have to do that. Or we could, see, we could start seeing games move again. Hey, Roy, I can talk from experience because my son and his family, other than my granddaughter, have the COVID or had it. And they may still. And it was very interesting. My daughter-in-law, she was still feeling effects. She told me uh, 10 days later. She feel good sometimes, not so good. My son, who was a very active guy and, uh, you know, before the pandemic was traveling all over because of his job, flying here, there, and everywhere, he was just almost out of it for a whole week. And he finally came downstairs and spent some time with the family. I think it was uh, she sent the picture Friday. So it really, and then the, the two boys got it, and it was like they had nothing. You know, they're still uh, running around, having a good time and everything. And, of course, they had to do their schoolwork. So it's just amazing how it can affect people individually. And, of course, what we don't know is the long-term effect um, future for anybody that's had it. Yeah, it's a great point, Roger. Uh, because, you, yeah, it, it does affect, it seems to affect everybody differently. I mean, the symptoms end up, end up being the symptoms, and many people share those symptoms, but to what degree? And you're right, it, it, it doesn't seem, I mean, look, there have been instances of people in their 90s who get it and feel nothing, and instances of yeah. people who are 19 and get it. And as you said, with your son, it knocks him out for a week or two, 
and then they, you know, some of the symptoms keep lingering or something else develops as a result of it. I mean, that's the other issue. So, yeah, not only is it an issue that you've got suddenly a, a great number of players, I think it's 82 right now is the number, uh, who are currently uh, dealing with it in the league, um, you've also got to consider, okay, well, how long are they going to be out? Uh, you know, it could be, you know, it could be a week, could be two weeks, it could be a month, it could be the rest of the season, because you don't know how quickly everybody's going to recover. It's not like a cold where you say, okay, you got a cold, you let the virus, it'll, it'll be through you in two weeks and, and you'll be back. And probably in a week you can start, you know, getting around people again and, and all this, but it's not like that. So again, we're, you're looking at, uh, you're looking at some trouble here for some teams uh, if it starts to spread uh, a little bit more, because uh, people are going to get infected, no doubt about it, and it's going to be some trouble. Well, I think, too, you have to take into consideration that uh, the biggest game maybe in college football for the year until you get to the playoffs this weekend, uh, and Clemson's going to be without the Heisman Trophy leader. I mean, uh, he's going to be out now two weeks, so he's one of the ones that you're indicating that has it a little bit more severely than anybody else so Clemson's going to go with uh, their number two quarterback against Notre Dame. Probably still be a great game. We'll talk to uh, Schulte about that. It'll be almost a little bit later on in the program. But uh, you're exactly right, Roy. It affects different people in different ways. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's, the other thing is, you know, who's who's close to them? And uh, if they're doing contact tracing, you know, people that aren't, like with the Buccaneers, uh, they're going to lose Will Golston for this game because he's going to spend the next 14 days in quarantine, uh, it looks like, because uh, he was around someone who had the virus. And, uh, you know, again, it's, you, you just you got to be smart about it. And some people, you know, still shaking their heads over, you know, what a silly thing to do just because you were around somebody and you don't have symptoms. Yeah, but you can catch the virus, and if you pass it out, you just don't know to what degree it's going to affect the person standing next to you. So um, that's why it's, it's, um, it's such a, it's such a tough thing. And uh, look, the NFL has done a great job to this point of um, avoiding, you know, real problems with this. Uh, but it, right. again, it seems to be catching up to them a bit. You know, Howard Eskin got it and he was very really? careful. He talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the sad thing oh, about the, the Saturday's game is that poor kid dropped uh, Don. You were uh, saying the Heisman um, Trophy candidate. They've dropped him off the list now uh, because he's not uh, really? playing. Yes, and uh, it's oh, now they're looking wow. at the uh, guy from Georgia and um, uh, heck, I forget the other one, but he's he's gone hmm. from number one to like number five now. Oh wow, man. that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, look, we all hope Trevor Lawrence comes back. Um, you know, yeah. he's the face of college football right now, and uh, uh, he's clearly the prize everybody uh, – some well, not everybody, but a lot of teams are going to be uh, shooting for come uh, the NFL draft uh, when and if that happens uh, next year. So uh, – and it's a shame. I mean, this is look, this is going to be a great game now. You know, it was going to be a great game anyway. Um, but, boy, I just think now you get you got to think that Notre Dame is – got to be just a little bit favored here um, because, you know, they, they seem to be healthy and you've clearly taken away Clemson's best player. Well, I think the one thing about it, when they said Lawrence wasn't going to play, I, I thought it was great that he made that announcement in the postgame show right after their win, a very tough win last weekend, a very surprising, uh, you know, that it was as close as it was. 
but that made his announcement right after the uh, right after the game was played and sort of gave everybody an idea that he, there was no question he was going to hold them out. He wasn't going to play regardless of what the player thought. You know, and, and uh, look, there, there okay. are certainly different opinions. There may be different opinions among the group here. My feeling on that is good for you. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to put football and uh, ahead of or any sport playing any game ahead of our health and you know and and ahead of everyone else's health for trevor lawrence to have been allowed to play last week or this week just because it's so important it, it how because of how important it is for clemson to win those games to try to win another national championship would would have just been i mean in a, in a way it, it's criminal i mean you you're 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 asking someone because what what we just talked about guys that you don't know how the person next to you on your left or the person next to you on your right is going to be affected should they get it. And I, I just think you have to take that kind of caution. And you know what? Good for, uh, good for, for the, the coaches at, uh, at Clemson to do it this way. I think they've done the right thing. And to be honest with you, I, I think more teams around, in, in college sports and major league sports but I want to just uh, get, we'll get, continue here for a second about Notre Dame because uh, this is really to me and my thinking. We'll see what Mike thinks in the next half hour. But uh, I, I, this is their best chance to be a number one team in the country in a long time uh, because after you get by Clemson, if they get by Clemson in good shape, uh, their landing in the ACC was a home run for North Carolina because uh, nobody has really challenged them as, as of the moment. Yeah, it's a great point, uh, Don. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think. I, look, I think this move to the ACC has helped them a lot. It's um, you know it's forced them to play some games they might not otherwise play. Look, the ACC is not you know the, it's not the ACC of basketball. Let's put it that way. Uh, you got two or three really good teams there, and uh, and one super team, and um, you know then you got Notre Dame. So look, I think it's helped them. Uh, I think we get a better read of what uh, Notre Dame is like instead of playing. Uh, you know, Navy and uh, Air Force, you know, each year and that kind of stuff. So I like it. Um, it's going to be legit. But, you know, hey, there's going to be – there's not going to be an asterisk, an asterisk next to it. You, everybody loses players. But uh, I would love to see a, a re, you know, a replay of this game uh, somewhere in the playoffs if that can happen. I don't know if that can happen. But uh, I think that might – I'd love to see it just because, look, let's, play, let's face it, these are two of the five best teams in, the, in uh, college football. And – uh, one team is uh, is there because of you know largely because of their quarterback and now they don't have that player so um, I'll tell you what if Clemson can beat uh, Notre Dame without uh, their quarterback boy says an awful lot about that football team doesn't it Roger one sure last does. question before we get the mic well I was just going to say uh, getting back to the uh, COVID the one thing I did not understand in that Alabama Georgia game was uh, Nick Saban had the, the virus. And he wasn't supposed to be on the field. Uh, they talked about it all week. And Saturday night, here he is, front and center. Uh, I mean, I think that's setting a bad example. Period. Mm-hmm. Totally My agree opinion. with you there, Roger. Totally agree, 100%. Um, you know, that, to me, look, I, I, I haven't I haven't seen the number yet, but um, it's 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 been very uh, clear. Certainly, uh, it looks as though. Uh, Justin Turner of the Dodgers is going to be fined significantly 
for uh, breaking the protocol. And after he was uh, found uh, to have the virus, he went out there for the celebration. And look, that's a tough spot for anybody to be in. You just won the World Series. Now you can't go uh, be with your, your teammates. That's tough. But you know what? Uh, again, you got to look out for the other guy here. And you know that's what? Right. Nick Saban said, screw that. I'm going to go do what I do. And you can't stop me. And uh, I think there should be a significant fine and maybe even a suspension. It's like, okay, you don't want to sit because of this? How about you sit because of this? Uh, to me, that right. would be a, a, uh, that was, a, a valid uh, penalty. And but I'll turn that. Roy, Roy, it was a great, it was a great move for the betters because the line moved two and a half points when he was not going to be on the sidelines and his coaching staff was going to coach. So if you were an Alabama fan and an Alabama better, and uh, you get a two and a half point slide, and then you look up on the field when the game starts and who's there? Head coach coaching the team. So. Uh, but Mike yeah. Schulte's already, and uh, and uh, Roy always a great pleasure in the first Roy, half great, hour. Great, uh, Thank you so much. Show. We'll continue next week. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Great to always. talk to you, Roy. Mike, it's all Have yours. A great week. Thanks, Roy. Hey, Roy. Well, all right, let's bring Mike Schulte in right now because uh, college, college football has become uh, – we haven't talked to him in a few weeks, and college football is really on the front burner. And, and uh, uh, the Outback Bowl, of course, is uh, Mike's backyard. Uh, first of all, your your comments about what you've seen so far in college football, uh, Mike, and uh, then we'll go from there. Well, uh, first of all, it's great to, great to have college football uh, being played. Um, I know what I, I, I agree with with uh, with Roy in regards to um, it's it's a sort, sort of a, obviously not only strange but a very unique situation uh, trying to do something like college football and other sports in a, in a pandemic. But I, I, I think a big part of that too, is just that, you know, there, there's this uh, desire and, and I think frankly a need um, to have some normalcy uh, to, to whatever extent we can um, in our lives during these times. And so, you know, if we can do it in a safe manner and, 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 you know, use practical and, and smart steps with it, um, then I, I think it's it is good for for uh, for folks to be able to enjoy some of the the things that they most enjoy this time of year, and so it's great to have college football back, uh, you know, the way it is. Um, it's been a really interesting uh, season with what I would say is a lot of surprises. Um, you know, part of that, of course, is due to you know how things have been adjusted. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, take the Big Ten Conference, which now, you know, of course, has only played a couple of weeks so far. But, you know, um, you know, you got along with Ohio State, you have, uh, I think, Purdue, Indiana and Northwestern all uh, um, tied with Ohio State uh, with the, the top records in the Big Ten, <laughs> which, you know, when was the last time that happened? Um, you know, so and things of that nature. I mean, you know, there's been games up and down. I mean, you got North Carolina, who, you know, has been ranked uh, all year and and been a, a real good team, and and uh, but yet uh, they go into Florida State, who at the time was just completely um, out of sorts. Uh, didn't know, you know, didn't really have much going for them, and they they upset North Carolina, just as one example, um, and. You know, just all over the cross, uh, all over the place, across the board, you see different conferences of different games, and it's it's I think been really hard. I'm glad I'm not a, a handicapper because I I think it's been really hard from week to week to determine 
uh, who's going to win most of these games outside of maybe, you know, a Clemson game or or Alabama game, you know, all the other games have been, uh, there's been a lot of surprises. And I I think that's fun, you know, for the sport because, you know, it just keeps it, it keeps every game interesting, but at the same time, it's, uh, I don't know if it has how much it has to do with the, COVID and all that, but it's certainly uh, has been that one of those years so far with uh, an awful lot of surprises and a lot of um, games that have been really hard to, to, to pick a winner. Roger? You know, uh, Mike, uh, I think that we have uh, Brent Musburger's assistant with us uh, on this show now, uh, the handicapper, Mr. Big Don Henderson, because he gave me <laughs> more insight today about the uh, gambling than, than I've had uh, in, in a long time. So, uh, I mean, I know it's a big thing now, and but uh, Don, I'll tell you, you're a master now. You're, you're te- teaching us all about handicapping. <laughs> well, I wish, I wish I knew enough. I wish I knew enough to win anything. I, yeah, but I like to look at it. I like to look at the golf. I like to look at the football. I like to look at the National Football League, but I... <laughs> Let me say something. The last time I bet any money on any sporting event was about four <laughs> years ago. <laughs> you know, smart man, you know, Don. The, you know the <laughs> other Don. The other way you can the other way you can phrase that is that you're so good at handicapping that you haven't lost the dime on yeah, any you got that right. in the last four years. <laughs> And let me and let me tell you, I'd be in the poorhouse if I was betting for real. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier with a lot easier with play money than than uh, than real money, right? You're <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Canadian money. Well, well, Roy, let's uh, I mean, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, you just talked about the Big Ten, and uh, only have you mm-hmm. played two games. Now, how are these things going to affect your picks when it comes to the Outback Bowl? Because we're all looking forward as we we all go. Uh, you're you're nice enough to get us all set up to go to that game on New Year's Day. And so, tell us about how, how this is now going to affect your group as you make your selections down the line. Because there's also a new system in in effect. Yeah. So so well, let me start with with this first of all. Um, you know. You know the the schedule, the bowl schedule has been announced by ESPN. Um, uh, of you know the the bowls that at this point uh, they feel they're going to be playing. Um, at, you know we've you know we are uh, setting our sights on potentially playing our game this year. Um, we're still working out uh, things with the conferences to see if uh, how this is all going to work. So I, I want to preface by saying that. You know, we we do have a date of January 2nd this year for our game. Mm. Um, we'll be uh, kicking off at 12:30 on Saturday, January 2nd, at uh, at 12:30 on the on uh, ABC, and we'll be on ABC TV this year. Um, Great. Uh, so, but we're, so the conferences have indicated that a desire to play in our bowl game, and some of the most of the others, and so we are working towards that end. Um, and uh, provided we can get uh, everything lined up correctly, um, then then you know we may you know there's a good chance that we will have a game, but uh, we are still working through you know a lot of the the elements on that uh, you know uh, because there's a lot of things that have have to change this year obviously under the circumstances, 
Um, with that said, the way things are are are, are being planned out for the bowls is that uh, number one, you know, the, the season starting late for all the all the leagues is going to end later than normal. Uh, the last games will be played uh, December 19th. So the the team announcements for uh, the the bowls for the most part will be made on uh, December 20th. There might be some that are made premature to that, and and part of that reason is goes to sort of what you were saying is that the uh, the selection process will be um, uh, uh, in large part the same in regards to pecking order of who what bowls pick what teams and all that uh, have the rights to to select first and that kind of thing. But the the teams themselves uh, this year it's going to be a little bit of a different situation because the NCAA has has actually um, uh, changed the rules for this year uh, with regard to uh, teams having to have uh, certain records uh, or uh, played certain games or what have you to qualify for a bowl game. So effectively, just about any team can qualify for a bowl game. Um, so, um, so with that said, it's going to be, and, and, you know, the other part, like you said, is, you know, teams are going to be playing different numbers of games. Um, the SEC in our case is, is has a 10 game schedule slated. Uh, the, um, the big 10, because they started so late, will have the most, any teams in the big 10 will play is nine games. And then, of course, you have the game, you know teams that, because of games being canceled, um, uh, may not be able to play that many. For instance, Wisconsin uh, has already had to cancel two games after their first, you know, they're playing their first game. So they, at most, are going to have seven games in if they can get all the rest of theirs in. Um, and so mm-hmm. what that does is it changes the dynamics a little bit on some of the the um, the benchmarks that you would typically might might use to you know to select teams. So I, I think what's gonna you'll probably see with regard to the bowl matchups outside of obviously the, the semifinals and of the playoff and that kind of thing, uh, and you know conference championship tie-ins you know with certain bowls. I think what you're going to see is after that point it'll it'll really just be a matter of of bowl games uh, sort of selecting the teams that they want to have. Uh, that they feel will be the best best teams for their game, which of course they always do to some degree. But I mean, you know, there, you know, things like uh, comparable records and things of that nature are probably going to be uh, not as big of a factor this year because you know, not you know, they're going to be comparing apples to oranges at times with some of these different teams and in regards to you know them playing different numbers of games and things like that. Hey, Roger, I have a couple of questions about. Uh... To, number one, what what about the attendance at the Outback Bowl? I mean, it, 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 do you know now, or you have a, an idea of uh, what the maximum attendance will be permitted? That's number one, and I guess a lot of these smaller bowls. And I'm thinking of the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium. I guess they will not be functioning this year, will they? Well, the, some of the bowls. I think there's. I want to say there's about five or six bowls that have already. Uh, canceled their games this year um, and for a variety of reasons. Um, so there are some that are not going to be played this year. 
Um, I think I think there's about 37. They were going to add a few games this year initially, um, some new ones, um, including like Boston and Myrtle Beach and and L.A. How about St. Pete? Uh, so so there was going to be uh, I think a total of like 44 bowls this year initially, but right now it looks like there, I believe there's going to be 37 bowl games hmm. instead. Um, so some of those will not take place. Um, and, um, yeah, so that, that, that's obviously changed a bit. Um, uh, I don't know specifically about, uh, about the pinstripe or not. Um, but in, in regards to capacities of these games, it's going to be, um, it's going to be largely based on, um, the, the location that they're at and what parameters are in place for, um, for event capacities um, at those at those sites, and you know whether it's determined by the the uh, you know the county or the state that they're in, um, and so that'll be a, a big part of that. I, I think the other part that they may be working working with is the conferences, because um, you know the conferences are have various rules on their capacities as well. Um, I know the Big Ten conference, for instance, doesn't have uh, isn't doing any fans at their games other than um, the families of the players all season. Mm-hmm. Whereas the mm-hmm. SEC is doing limited capacity based on the individual schools and the, the, the restrictions in those towns and, and, you know, states and all that. So, so there's that. And, and, uh, but with, with regard to the bowls, I think it'll be largely a geographical thing as well, um, including ourselves uh, in regards to uh, you know what capacities, limited capacities, are uh, in place for that area, and so right now we you know we're initially we'll we'll we will be planning uh, probably a, you know just to, to to do whatever the uh, the the uh, the restriction is that is being used by like the Buccaneers and USF football who use our, you know the same stadium that we do and, um, and, you know, whatever setup that is. And then, you know, if it increases, it, it'll increase and, and, uh, or, or maybe it'll decrease at, at the end of the day, just depending on how things are going as we get closer to the game. So I think, I think that's what you're going to see with the bowl games is that, you know, it's going to be up to the individual geographical areas and what restrictions they have placed on them uh, in, that, in those question, areas Roger? to follow. I'm sorry. You said you had two. What's the, what was the other question? Yeah, no, no. no uh, Mike answered both of them. You know, one oh, was about okay. the size of the attendance, <laughs> and then the other one was about the number of bowls. Mm. Don, we can get to the uh, questions and answers. Thank you. <laughs> Mike, what is, what is your feeling about uh, – I, I know how I feel after watching the games. How do you feel the level of – a play has been uh, with all the shortage of practices with uh, shutting down for periods of time and then coming back. Uh, what do you think the level of play has been like? In college? Uh, I, I think, uh, I think it's been uh, really good. I mean, I, I, I haven't really noticed any uh, real difference um, in the college games, at least. Um, I, you know, I think the, you know, I mean, you know, here we're, you know, towards the end of October and the Big Ten's just starting, so their first games. And every year, you know, any team's first game, you know, might be a little bit sloppier than normal, you know, because they haven't been playing. 
Um, so, you know, there might be that in regards to some of the early, early games that some of these teams played, but, but with regard to, you know, overall, I, I think it's been, I think it's been good and not, not as noticeable. Um, frankly, I, I, I've seen more of a difference in, uh, especially early on with the, the NFL games, um, because of the fact that they didn't have their, uh, preseason games that they're used to playing. And not that, you know, we, we all know that there, you know, those games were not, you know, um, stacked with uh, all the starters playing all the time, but it did give them at least, you know, some opportunities to, to face an opponent and, and sort of get, you know, into that mode of playing. And, uh, and of course they didn't have that this year. So I, I think that might be why some of you saw some, again, some, some surprises, early in the season with the uh, the NFL team as well. Let's talk about it. Then. Give me a shot of your, uh, what you that. think about the Notre Dame game coming up this weekend. Notre Dame Clemson. What's your what's your feeling on that one? Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a really good game. Um, uh, you know, I know you guys were talking about Trevor Lawrence earlier, not playing, obviously. And uh, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, Roy's right. I mean, you know, he, you know, the, you know, he needs to be sitting out, like, you know, based on their protocols. You got protocols, you follow the protocols. But, um, but yeah, what, what, you know, uh, you know, the the kid that, that came in and replaced him last week, I think, you know, uh, he will have a game under his belt, and he'll have two weeks of being the the key uh, quarterback uh, in practice. So it'll be interesting to see how he performs. Um, but uh, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit of a leveling. Um, factor for Clemson and uh, and, uh, and Notre Dame to be, or for Notre Dame, I guess, to be uh, to be able to be really competitive with with Clemson. They might have been competitive already, but but certainly with Lawrence out, you know, and, you know, I, I think Clemson will be fine. But I, at the same time, you know, uh, it might give a little bit more of a, a boost to to Notre Dame to not have to face Lawrence. But at the same time, you know, Clemson's a good team for a lot of reasons, not just Lawrence and. And uh, I, I'm expecting it to be a really good game. I'm I'm really excited to watch it. Well, uh, Frank hasn't told me that Steve is ready to go yet, so let's go back to you, uh, yeah, he's ready to Roger, go. and and uh, we'll make we'll make the next move as soon as Frank tells me Steve's ready to go. No, Fra- Frank said that uh, Steve is ready. Don, everybody there? Yes, I'm right here. <laughs> well, Mike, I'll say thank you very much then, and uh, okay, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get you Mike, right have back. A great week. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, have a have a great week, and uh, look forward to to more fun games this weekend. You yeah, got it. No question about it. It's a pleasure. Can you give us a plug of well, what we, you we we we, the, uh, yeah, we touched on the NFL. We touched on the college football. Now we're going to go to a little baseball. Uh, yes, Steve. Then we got to get Mike a chance. Yeah, Mike chance to promote the goal. Yeah. Uh, he's gone. But okay. tickets, tickets and everything, sponsorship, Mike. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, that's gone. Oh, oh, that's geez. a shame. Have a good one next week, Frank, to we'll talk about that. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think he can really talk about tickets until they know that they're definitely going to play and what's going to happen. I, I uh, yeah. That was the reason I didn't well, bring it up. But I didn't hear. Yeah. They're going to have sponsorships. Yeah, yeah. And they know they're going to play, so they can get sponsorships. Well, I hope they can play. I hope we hope everybody can play. But yeah, wait, it's a long way down the road. Yeah, but let's true. let's switch over to let's let's switch over let's switch over to baseball because 
Steve is a numbers man, and uh, the World Series this year was a numbers game. So, uh, Steve, will give us a little thought on the baseball, uh, the World Series first. Well, <clears throat> World Series was extremely entertaining. That Dodgers team was uh, everything I thought they were going to be. And, you know, if you can't score, you can't win. And, you know, more often than not, the Rays were held down to one or two, three runs. And uh, that Dodgers pitching staff was uh, extremely impressive. But that team is extremely impressive. I mean, um, I've told you guys before, I'm a big fan of how the uh, New York Yankees operate. I'm an even bigger fan of how the uh, L.A. Dodgers operate. You know, to, to even just to put it in perspective, you guys see the uh, Cy Young finalist in the American League this year? No. No. Well, you got you the top three. There, there's Shane Bieber, then there's Kenta Maeda, and there's uh, Ryu from Toronto. Two of those guys were, in, were with the Dodgers last year. They said goodbye to both, won the World Series. So it just goes to show you how – you know, how effective that front office is over there in L.A. Mm-hmm. Sure. Roger? Well, yeah, the same thing happened uh, last year with the Nationals after they let uh, Bryce Harper go. Steve, you know, they, they won the championship the year after they uh, got rid of well, they let him go in free agency. You know, I saw a list of the top free agents, Steve, the other day. And, uh, sure. They've got uh, Rianuto staying with the Phillies. I don't. I think he's going to go uh, to the Yankees, maybe the Mets. But uh, and Didi uh, Gregorius, they have him staying. I don't see him staying either. And a lot of it is uh, not because of them. Uh, I just think uh, the uh, managing general partner of the Phillies now, uh, people are having a problem with him. Uh, I have a problem with him. I mean, he's a very wealthy, successful businessman um but uh he he doesn't know uh, doesn't i don't know if he has the guts or what uh to clean house and he won't get rid of andy mcphail who has even said he will be happy to step aside for a new uh head of baseball operations uh he couldn't fire clentac he puts him to side and puts in his uh, first lieutenant this is not showing me any leadership with the philadelphia phillies what yeah, you that you know, there's a lot to front office and how how it goes about everything. And you know, my philosophy is don't judge anybody if you don't have a bullpen. And in Philadelphia, you guys are trying to judge people without having a bullpen, and that's going to lead to mistakes. I know it seems like it's watering it down to the most basic of elements, but any organization that can't build that one simple thing, now you're trying to evaluate win loss record year by year. And you've been torched two years in a row. So hopefully whoever comes in there, in whatever, you know, however they end up doing it, uh, just, you know, realizes the amount of talent that's out there and loads up on you know, giving, giving the organization. You don't need the big names on the back of the uniform. What you need is the talent that when whatever right. manager's in the dugout points out to that bullpen to protect the lead, um, you know, the Phillies – um, again, they remind me of the 2007 Rays. If you go back to that 2007 Rays team that lost 90 games, they had a lead in the fifth or sixth inning in a lot of them, you know. So when all the numbers came in prior to 2008, uh, prior to the 2008 season, 
uh, websites like Baseball Perspectives projected the Rays to win 92 games and to win the AL East, and everybody uh-huh. laughed at them, you know. Wow. But the but the, the the fact of the matter was, the Rays of 2007 were a very good team, and that's probably another one of the teams I always point to and say you really can't judge talent until you have a freaking bullpen. Um, but you know the Phillies. You just brought up two other issues, and I don't want to drone on about the Phillies, but I do follow them. And uh, JT Rio Muto and Didi Gregorius. Uh, if I'm <laughs> if I'm building a team, guys, uh, you've already heard me say the bullpen, but what I really focus on is up the middle. You know, catch right. the shortstop center field. I'm, I'm a. I've told you before, Earl Weaver is kind of my guy, you know, and if you could put, uh, you know, Belanger and uh, Paul Blair at shortstop and center field and build out, uh, you know, that was that was key. So Didi and Rio Muto would be two of my guys that I would certainly want one and two to be coming back. Uh, whether or not they do um, – is any guess? It would be a real shame to give up Sixto Sanchez and only have Rio Muto for two years. That would be a shame. Steve, two things. One, uh, when you talk about the World Series, and and I'll tell you, I think you have to give Cash if he's not the manager of the year. I don't know who who is. I mean, he just just a marvelous job. Uh, and I know they're they're a great numbers team. So two questions. Number one. If you're sitting on the bench, do you take your pitcher out? You're paying fifty thousand dollars, a fifty million dollars a year to the best player on your team. Saw him the one one or two years ago, and your guy next to you says, "Well, this is the time to take him out." And he's given up two lousy hits and pitched uh, as well as you could possibly pitch. How do you take him out? Well, I, I won't get into all the numbers with you. I'll just say that. Blake Snell is not the highest paid member on the Rays right now. <laughs> so that goes out the window. When he won the Cy Young, if you recall, he only pitched about 147 innings, uh, which right. tells you that Blake Snell only goes about five and a third innings per start. Now, for consistency, in game seven of the ALDS, Charlie Morton gave up a base hit in the fifth and was pulled. Um, and in Blake Snell was cruising along in game two, had given up uh, one hit, struck out nine in the first uh, four innings, got two outs, and then gave up a single and a home run to the eight and nine guys. So a lot of people will say, if a guy's pitching well, he's going to continue pitching well. Well, Blake Blake Snell's ERA past the fifth inning is is four and a half in his career. Um, There's a lot of numbers that point to let me let me just ask you one question before we go to another number. But the but the pitcher you're going to bring in in this situation, his numbers were not good. I mean, he didn't have a great World Series. Yeah, yeah, that that's another argument. That, that that's a welcome argument that maybe you, you go away from Nick Anderson, except for Nick Anderson is who who followed Blake Snell in Game Two and got out of the jam and got the game rolling and got went on to win. So there's a lot to digest. There's a lot of numbers. I have no problem. Anybody who wants to argue that when a team scored one run, you can talk until you're blue in the face about the move. Fact of the matter is right, your team right, scored right. one run, you know, and I don't care if you are, you know, uh, whatever great manager you think, or if you have Bob, if maybe if you have Bob Gibson in 1968, 
or the lower mound before <laughs> on the mound, you have a chance of shutting the Dodgers out, who, by the way, in 72 games or whatever, hadn't been shut out this year and hadn't been shut out since, until, I think, uh, September of last year was the last time they were shut out. So one run not beating that team, the, the number one offense. No, you're talking about the Dodgers and how good they are, and I agree with you 100%. I think they were by yeah. – you know, going into the World Series, there was no question the Dodgers were yeah, a far better team. But I don't think they – I don't think you could possibly visualize the Rays having five players hit under 290. I mean, under 190. I mean, the Dodgers have great pitching, but you you can't win anything with five batters hitting under 190. Yeah, not only Mm -hmm. that, forget about batting average. I can care less if you hit 190 if you're drawing walks and causing havoc on the base pass and and hitting home runs. Uh, Striking out, striking out. Right. The, I don't care about strikeouts. I mean, there was a key situation where the Rays had runners at first and second and one out, and the guy hit into a double play. Give me the strikeout. Don't hit into the double play. Um, but the point is, they weren't walking. And when they did get on base, they weren't able to run. I mean, that was in the postseason. You talk about some good coaching um, from teams. First of all, Mark and Maldonado of Houston completely shut the Rays' running game down. Kevin Kiermeyer in game one had a great jump to steal third and was nailed by a mile, and the Rays never attempted a stolen base. Get this, guys. There was a pitching Yeah, they did. They tried to steal home because when they tried to steal home, and the reason for that was they had a run on third base with nobody out and couldn't get them home. They couldn't couldn't put the ball in play to get them home. Let's also remember Clayton Kershaw decided to go from the windup, and that play – was bang bang. I have no problem with that. But listen to this: runners at first and second in a key situation. Dusty Baker goes out and takes out his pitcher. Okay, and Randy Arozarena is at second base. He also brings in Martin Maldonado to catch at the same time, realizing the analytics guys realizing, hey, we can't have the Rays running. They're going to double steal here. And the Astros were ready for it, which was really good. I mean, but no, stealing home, I kind of love that. That was kind of like my type of play. If Clayton Kershaw wants to go from that, that, that elongated windup with the arms way over his head and the third baseman playing way back, giving Margot a huge jump off a third, I wish more right. guys tried that. Um, it's a tribute to Kershaw that he was able to deliver such a strike over there at the plate. You know, which was uh, uh, it was a great play. I mean, bang bang. You know, it's it's funny though. If the if if he would have been called safe, I don't think replay overturns it. He was called out. I don't think replay would overturn it either. It was a great. Uh, that was a great moment. I love that. You know. Well, okay, I got a lot of my questions too. So you guys, you guys jump in and get a couple of questions. I got, I got well, mine answered. Oh sure. Okay, okay. I was going to say. Steve, you're a great historian of baseball. I have the most respect for you. And as a lifelong Phillies fan, but not, I wasn't happy about this year, but who could ever forget 1964, Chico Ruiz stealing home? (laughs) It's the most, that lives in infamy. (laughs) But you also have to remember, Roger, when he stole home, he sold home with a batter in the batter's box with two strikes on him. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, 
Henderson. Yeah. I'm well aware of that, Mr. Henderson. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's an exciting play, guys. I mean, uh, I love the, you know, I love the double steal, you know, where the guy goes from first to second and the guy comes home. But the straight steal of home is one of the most exciting plays in baseball. And it's one of the things I wish I saw more of, especially when these third basemen are playing so far mm-hmm. back and the pitcher right. decides, well, he's not going to try to steal home. So I'm, I'm going to pitch from the windup, especially a lefty, you know. Uh, right. It was fun, guys. Uh, but now we've got a winter, and it's going to be an interesting uh, free agent market this year uh, with the uncertainty. Now, I, I don't think it will be too hard for the top guys to find contracts, uh, you know, guys like George Springer, Rio Muto, Trevor Bauer, uh, DJ LeMayhew. Uh, there's some really good names out there, you know, uh, Stroman and Gausman. Uh, two two pitchers, Tanaka and Paxton, you know, depending how much injury risk you want to put out there. And, hey, the Phillies could use them, uh, use some pitching. I don't know how how serious the injury to Spencer Howard is, but I do like him. But uh, Arietta's kind of fallen on hard times. You know, I, don't, I don't even know if he's coming back or if his contract is up. Is Tommy, is Tommy with us tonight? He hasn't said very much of his. Tommy there, hey. He's there. I'm right here. Yes, I am. But see, that, that World Series is fantastic up there. Well, here's the question, of, biggest question of them all. Why hasn't the print media, electronic media, talked to Stu Sternberg playing against Andrew Friedman and Matt Silverman? That's, that's my biggest question. You know, yeah, it's, a great, it's a great cover story, especially here in Tampa, because Stu brought Andrew and, and, and Matt Silverman down with him from New York from the law firm. And if it wasn't for Jerry Hunsinger, Matt, um, Andrew Friedman would not have a great job in L.A. So, um, you know, we yeah, that story. I've read several stories about that, you know, just the, the front office and, and going back in time. But, yep. guys, you know, uh, Andrew Friedman had a, had a direct hand in all the GMs in the ALCS uh, this year. Mm. You, know, uh, you know, he had, uh, you know, Eric Neander. In Tampa, and uh, he had uh, in, over in the National League. You know, he had Anthopoulos with them for three years. Anthopoulos was basically, you know, out of baseball, and Freeman mm-hmm. brought him out to LA and made him an assistant uh, uh, GM. You know, so and then over there in Houston is James Click, who came over from the Rays, who Friedman hired while he was, you know. Uh, uh, running the race, so you had Quick in Houston, and you had uh, Eric Neander over over in uh, uh, Tampa Bay, and then you had uh, Anthopolis in Atlanta, and you had Friedman in uh, in the with the Dodgers. You know, so it, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a tribute to understanding, and it goes back to what we we could circle all the way back to the Phillies, and there is a certain amount of patience, but it, it you have to have the system in place. Uh, for a long time where you can cultivate these guys um, and find success. And when one of them leaves, you can just promote from within. Uh, you won't have the name uh, the name brand guy coming up, but you should be able to, to cultivate a system that turns these mm-hmm. guys out. And that's what, you know, if you're a Phillies fan, uh, you hope that the next guy is a talent guy first um, and understands the importance of bringing talent in the organization. And that doesn't mean going out and spending $200 million on 32 year old starting pitchers to try to fill a hole. Uh, it means finding talent that 
you can overwhelm teams with. You see, my memory Roger? is the Indians. Well, uh, go ahead, Tommy. Go ahead, Tommy. No, see, remember the day when when the Cleveland Indians were so bad, they say they signed Wayne Gorman for the big contract, and Gorman was was still undefeated the whole time down there. <laughs> it was not a good. Wayne Gorman, ten years, two point three million, was yeah. the contract. Well, how many games? They never won ten games under that Indian team up there. Well, how about <laughs> just the, the trade? Did the, the Phillies trade five players for Von Hayes? <laughs> so, I saw one yeah, day. Five for training. one. Five for yeah, one. Yeah, you're right, Tom. That's right. And, the, and this, the, I think this World Series, that, you know, I'm disappointed that the Rays lost. But will that legacy go back? Will, will, will affect Kevin Cash? He doesn't go back to the World Series. I hope he, I hope he this doesn't affect Kevin Cash and get back to the World Series next year. I hope it's not, you know, on his legacy. Do you think it'll be on his legacy for that? Bad call he made or the teammate? No, Kevin. No, Kevin Cash does more with less, and that'll be his legacy, uh, no matter what. I mean, uh, you know, the, the guy. The guy is, he, you know, he's young enough that, you know, he could always go to another team later on, and he's going to always have that pull. You know that. Yes. You know, if, if you ever thought that, hey, you know, the Rays aren't doing so well. Maybe Kevin Cash needs to go. He'll be swallowed up really quickly by another organization. But, uh, right. You know, uh, I could talk all day about Kevin Cash, the Rays, and, and other teams' front offices because that's kind of what I love to uh, pay attention to. And here we are in the winter, you know, so uh, it, it's going to be a fun winter, I hope. Roger? Well, I, I'm a big fan of Kevin Cash, no matter what he did. I disagreed with him uh, making that move, but uh, I'll tell you what, that guy, you're right, uh, Steve, he has done more with less uh, than anybody. Uh, the uh, And in some ways, Gabe Kabler, but Gabe Kabler was his own worst enemy, okay? <laughs> Whereas Kevin Cash is not that way. Yeah, Gabe Kapler again. I'm, I'll 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 say it to you guys till I'm blue, till I'm blue in the face about Gabe Kapler or any other manager in baseball. If you don't give that manager of baseball, you shouldn't be. Um, if you don't give that guy a bullpen, and I don't care how you work any kind of judgments out, how they work with the media, how they work with team team batting, I don't care about anything. If your team mm-hmm. doesn't have a bullpen, I'm not going to evaluate the manager. So, exactly. Uh, it, it goes hand well, in Steve- hand. Steve, let me ask you this question. You know, I agree with you 100%. Well, I guess we all do on, on Kevin. I, I had very, very little knowledge of Kevin Cash when he came up to become the manager uh, of the race. And I can't say any but great things about him. However, mm-hmm. I, just the opposite to that, turn it over. I also have tremendous, tremendous respect for Buck Showalter. I think Buck Showalter yeah. is one of the smartest people in baseball anytime, anywhere at, that I know of. And I don't think mm-hmm. Buck Showalter, because of exactly what you're talking about this whole period of time, these numbers. He he's just not gonna when he interviews, he's not gonna go for these numbers. He's not gonna have that somebody sit there. And, and well, I don't I got, think he'll get a job. I don't think he'll get a I job. For you, I got news for you. All right, you ready for this? Yes. Buck Showalter is one of the biggest analytics guys out there. In 2007. He was with the Cleveland Indians in their analytics department when they went to the ALCS. 
when he was in between his time as a manager, he was an analytics guy for the for the Cleveland Indians. Wow. Oh, and I, by the way, I'm reading. Give me a second. To but he still, a he still makes decisions based on the, 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 oh, the situation oh. within the game. Uh, that's oh, that's my got, point. He, got he understands the game. Guys, I mm-hmm. am reading right now, just, just so you know, I am reading Skipper Supreme, uh, Buck Showalter and the Baltimore Orioles years. Um, it's a book by Todd Karpovich and Jeff Seidel. Um, it's a beautiful book, and it goes into his reliance on the data nonstop. I mean, he, his big thing, and other teams have copied this, his biggest thing is bullpens with multiple looks. You know, yeah. and you can see it now with the Rays do it, and a lot of other teams do it. Their their pitchers all have different release angles. You know, uh, from extreme underhand or sidearm to way over the top. You know, and that's a Buck Showalter thing. You know, it's kind of his. Right. Uh, if you go right. back to the Orioles team, now Buck Showalter, by the way, talk about the feel of the game and and whatever he made probably the biggest mistake you know, bigger than cash because cash got the World Series. But having Zach Britton in your bullpen and turning a tie game in an elimination game over to Obaldo Jimenez to to go to give up three hits and then a grand slam and get eliminated, yeah. um, <clears throat> there's nothing – there's no excuse for that. Uh, that was him. I don't know what he was doing or why he did it. I'm, I'm waiting to get to that in this book because – that might have been one of the dumbest managerial decisions of probably the last 20 years. In a yeah, and that same, that same relief pitcher that didn't pitch just signed a new $20-some million contract with the Yankees at extension for a couple of years. So I, I cannot disagree with you on that, and neither can anybody else. It was just, For two years, it was probably the story of baseball. Uh, how can he possibly do that? But, it, uh, it was really something, but I, I maybe in the future I'll tell you. I tell you guys I read managers' books, and it just happened that Buck is one of my favorites. Um, so this book just came out, Skipper Supreme. Um, it's a fantastic read. But Buck Showalter back with you know 2007 with Cleveland, working in the analytics department, also working with some of the developmental stuff out in Arizona, um, really shed a lot of light on things. He's a very interesting guy. I love how he. Uh, doesn't give you anything. He's like Bill Belichick in an interview. Right. You know. You know. Right. <laughs> I, I'm well, Roger, last question because Mike's ready to go, and uh, we got to switch topics, but I'll let you get the last question in. Well, talking about books, uh, Steve, do you uh, you read any of the books uh, about uh, Dick Allen? No, I have not got into the Dick Allen books yet. No. Well, there's a couple of them, but they're really good. And uh, what I'll do is um, the um, uh, I'll, I'll get Frank to give me your email, and I'll send sure. you uh, the the, uh, the author because I know Don and I have met him, and uh, the uh, he would be at the at the uh, ballpark sometimes, but he was also at the uh, uh, sports writers uh, banquet. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what uh, the other thing is. Uh, I uh, he gives out a set of uh, Dick Allen baseball cards uh, yeah. with bubble gum, some of them, right, Don? Yeah. Oh, sounds so, fantastic. Uh, I can I can mail you a set of those, okay? <laughs> sounds fantastic. I'm always interested in not to bring up a sore spot, but I walked over to my bookshelf where I grabbed the Showalter book from, and 
sitting right in front of me is David Halberstam's uh, October of 64. So, there you go. I'll I'll tell you, you you talk about bad bad managerial moves. Gene Walk, he set the record in 1960. (laughs) He set the record in 1964. And you talk about being tough to talk to. If you think Buck Showalter was tough to talk to, you should have known Gene Mark. How about when he decks the guy coming in to catch a foul ball? He decks him in the dugout. <laughs> I mean, what a guy he was. Oh, my God. Well, Steve, thank you very, very much. Always a pleasure to talk baseball. And I'll tell you, look forward to the next time you join us. And uh, we'll switch over. And, and Mike Zipchek is ready as well. And, Mike, you saw quite a game football-wise uh, over the weekend. I saw the whole thing, uh, the Ravens game. It was a heck of a game. And uh, I, I think the people of Baltimore got to be a little disappointed with what happened with Pittsburgh, Mike. Yeah, it was a game that for a long time it looked like Baltimore was going to be win. You know, Pittsburgh got out a little bit on them, but then Baltimore really got back in there. And Baltimore gave themselves a shot, but Pittsburgh just in the end had a little bit more uh, more, and, and Baltimore wasn't able to complete the passes, pass at the end of the game to uh, – to get the, the touchdown, um, and you know it, it, it was a tough one, but it, it, you know that it, it, that's a second loss, and now they're two games back of Baltimore in, in that uh, in that division. Well, that, was, that was tough for Baltimore to lose that game because that's mm-hmm. you know Mike, you know what that game is all about? Pittsburgh, Cleveland round run. So when they move the club to Baltimore, like oh boy, that's another you know that's another big rivalry in that, but. What about the Washington team? <laughs> Washington team with no Nick. Well, I mean, Washington, man, the good news was that they didn't lose last week. But, you know, <laughs> given, given the propensity of the Washington football team, they could have possibly lost to themselves in a bye week. Um, <laughs> they have a bye week. They've got the Giants uh, this week. Up in the, the Meadowlands, I believe the game's in the Meadowlands. Um, it, you know, it, it wasn't – they lost earlier – no, this one's home. Uh, they lost earlier this season, a couple of weeks. They have a weird uh, thing going, slate of games, which kind of mirrors what the uh, the Eagles have in that they played uh, New York, then Dallas, then a bye week, and then they go to New York – then they have New York again. So they'll be up in Washington, in New York, uh, this Sunday. Uh, they lost by one down here, uh, what three weeks ago. So uh, they're coming in pretty healthy. I mean, Kyle Allen is going to start again. Um, Terry McLaurin was voted uh, captain. Uh, it was interesting this week with the Redskins that they didn't entertain all. They didn't. They said they didn't received nor were there any interest in trading Dwayne Haskins but I was a little bit surprised that they made the decision to try and not move on from Ryan Carrigan and the 11.5 billion that he's owed and he's basically with uh with uh Chase Young and Montez Sweat become a, a bit part player and Ron Rivera chose to, to keep him on the team because he wanted his leadership uh, in the locker room. But, I mean, $11.5 million for a backup guy that you like because you like him in the locker room, that's a lot to pay. 
Hey, listen, Mike, the, the Eagles have the same problem because Jim Schwartz loves this one kid. So he ha- he's been hurt, but he comes back this week or next week because they have to buy. And uh, he he has him calling the plays. And as Ray Dinger says, well, yeah, he's calling the plays and he's a smart kid and everything, but he can't play. So, so Jim Schwartz has him in there calling the plays, but he's a player that can't play. He just doesn't have the talent. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I think I think that it's a slightly different. Ryan Kerrigan would be a, a good addition and somebody who you could have probably gotten relatively on the cheap. The Redskins really are not a position where they should be thinking too much uh, about this current season. I know, given the depths of depravity that is the uh, NFC East right now, they have a shot to make it to the playoffs. But let's be honest, if they get there somehow, it's not like they're really going to be competitive. Uh, the additional fourth, no, no team from the NFC East is going to be competitive, Mike. Well, I, I, I heard uh, I, somebody said somebody reminded me today that um, both Biden a, a, and Trump right now are in contention to win the NFC East. Last week when we when we talked to you, like uh, just before you went off the air. Uh, and and maybe maybe touch on it again. Uh, how do we stand soccer wise? Because Philadelphia had just scored to make it. Well, I think it was one nothing at the time. They had been that was zero yeah, zero. And just before we went right off there, Philadelphia scored to make it. Had, yeah, they ended up winning that game, but then they lost uh, Andre Blake to a broken hand, which is ooh, he's the favorite to win. Um, the Golden Gloves, the Goalkeeper of the Year award in the MLS, and by far he is probably the best goalkeeper in MLS. And I'm pretty sure if he didn't play, if he he, he wasn't Jamaican, if he played for the United States national team or, or, or one of the other bigger ones, you'd have seen him in Europe by now. He's really a, a good keeper and. At 29, he's actually still relatively young for a goalie. Uh, goalies in soccer don't tend to peak until their 30s, uh, but he's really been solid. So they ended up winning that game against Chicago uh, 2-1 and then lost 2-1 over the weekend in Columbus. They gave up a really late goal uh, when all they really needed was a draw, and that would have given them pretty much – Given them the uh, supporter shield, so it all comes down to Sunday for the uh, Philadelphia Union. The task is pretty simple: um, beat a team in New England that you've already played. Uh, this will be the fifth time that they they've played New England this season. They haven't lost to them at all, and play them in Philadelphia, where the Union haven't lost since uh, the season resumed after the MLS's back tournament. So they can win. They win the Supporters' Shield. They'll walk off with the uh, award for the best regular season in the MLS in their first piece of silverware, and the uh, Audi Cup playoffs will have to go through Philadelphia. Um, That's true. Hey, Mike, so, I, I, I got your uh, your note, and I looked mm-hmm. all over because I wanted to watch that game, and it wasn't on the PHL 17. 
There so was I don't ABC. know why they. Oh, it was on ABC. Yeah, it was the. Um, it was the na- It was. It was the nationally televised game. So it was on ABC. Oh, geez. If I had known that, I never think about ABC. Uh, you know, having uh, soccer. That's why I didn't uh, look look to uh, Channel Six. Well, they don't have, they don't have football on Sundays, so they got to come up with football on Sundays. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, well, Mike, let me ask you this: How do you, after the the way things were put together and the tournament, and and uh, how do you assess uh, what happened so far this year? And did they make the right moves? Was it a fair uh, operation or were you disappointed? To quote a line from an uh, old movie called Argo, this is just about the best bad idea that we had at the time. Um, I think that they did what they needed to do. They needed to restart. I don't think that they could have survived not having played a, full, a, a season. Um, COVID has probably been tougher on MLS than it has on any other league with the sheer number of games that have been canceled. I think uh, Colorado Rapids right now out of a 23-game schedule have only played 15 games. They've lost so many, and there's no way that they're going to be able to make them up. So You're going to have teams like Philadelphia who've played 23 games, but by the end of the season they will have played the, the uh, New England Revolution five times. So very unbalanced, quirky schedule. I thought the MLS back tournament was really good. Uh, I appreciated the effort that they put into getting something that looked like a regular season. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, I mean, the, the, the players played, the, the, they did the best that they could to get something together. And a lot will come down on the playoffs, hopefully they get a full set of playoff games in. I think the worst thing that could happen, though, would be what happened in USL, where they got all the way to the championship game, which would have been this Sunday, and because some of the Tampa Bay Rowdies players tested positive for COVID, they had to cancel the championship game. That's right. Well, that's a sad game. Well, you know, that's, just, that's sad for the Rowdies up there you know, for the championship game up there. But, Mike, how is soccer overall uh, competing with the virus? Um, you know, it's been a tough one here. It's been a tough one in MLS. Like I said, you've had a number of games lost. Um, right. I think the big concern worldwide is um, what seems to happen is every time there's an international break, every time they go to play – for their national teams, you have a number of players that end up coming back and testing positive COVID. Mm. Last round, um, I'll just take Manchester United, who I tend to watch more than anybody else. Like the last set of games, you had Paul Pogba, you had Cristiano Ronaldo, all test positive for COVID. Then you come back this time, players like Alex Tellez test positive for COVID. And whether or not they're severely symptomatic or what, just that two weeks of quarantine wreak havoc on their fitness, and we don't really know what the full effects on, of this virus are. Right. Even if you catch a minor case, what the, the, the full effects of it are on, uh, on these players. Uh, in that way, it's been a lot like um, what has happened in the NFL where you know, with the Titans a couple of weeks ago. But the Titans have been able to make up their games. You've seen players go in. You've seen players go out. I think the big difference is when you have 
Um, in soccer, the players in the top leagues uh, at the MLS level, they're all getting regular test, regularly tested, but then you have players at the lower levels in the second division and below in these at the minor league level who aren't being tested. And then they're playing games against these other guys, and, you know, that COVID spreads. It happens. So it's been a bit of a – for all the good that they did starting back at the tail end of last season, it's been a bit uh, more chaotic around the world uh, throughout the fall. Roger? Yeah. Well, you know, it's been chaotic, and, I, and we've talked about it earlier, Mike, that uh, I think the NFL and uh, Roy and, uh, believe, agrees with all of us that uh, the NFL is going to have to take some action because uh, it's starting to uh, show its, its uh, influence throughout the league. And, uh, you know, I, I was wondering uh, one question, what you thought about that. My other question is I wanted to address is uh, what's the uh, feelings in our nation's cap, excuse me, capital and, uh, you know, the Washington football team's uh, fan base about uh, Ron Rivera as the head coach? I always thought he was a great head coach, and I think he'll do an outstanding job. But I was wondering what your assessment would be. All right. So um, as far as the NFL, uh, I hope the NFL paid a little bit of attention to what happened and to to the US USL and can seriously considers doing a sort of bubble for the playoffs because like you said the players testing positive and the facilities getting shut down and the, it's one thing for it to happen at this point in the regular season what we don't want to do is have that happen in a playoff game in a playoff game not be able to be played or somebody win by forfeit because a playoff game can't be played because players tested positive for COVID or they weren't able to practice or something like that. So I hope they take serious consideration to doing that and really kind of clamp down on this because I think you're right. We're starting to see it more and more regularly teams having issues with COVID. As far as how the fan base around here feels about Ron Rivera, I mean, the reviews are pretty good, but then when you consider where the Redskins were coming from, with the uh, combination of uh, Jay Gruden and Bill Callahan last year. I mean, a blind man could probably coach better football and get have more <laughs> success than those two had. So <laughs> there, there, there's, I guess you could say that there's cautious optimism. You know, a weird situation, again, given how poor the NFC East is that you find a two two and four two and five Redskins team in serious playoff contention, but you know that that's the case, and I think a lot of the fan base is caught in between that. Um, some of his moves haven't exactly been well received. Uh, a lot of people were questioning the decision to to go away from Dwayne Haskins and to start yeah. Kyle well, Allen, and, and um, while it's you know, they've, they've gotten a win. Uh, it's always good to beat the Cowboys, but then again, um, you know, it's the Cowboys right now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure 11 toddlers could knock them over. Um, well, Mike, but, you, were, you weren't on with us earlier. I, I, I want to go back to Roger because I think yeah. 
Uh, Ray Dinninger, of course, a Hall of Fame writer and uh, one that we've known for so many years in Philadelphia and also does a radio show down there. And uh, Let's go back to your point, Roger, uh, because Mike wasn't on with us about his assessment of the of the Eastern okay. Conference of the National Football League. Okay. Ray Dinninger this morning uh, on his uh, show uh, on WIP uh, made the statement that the NFC East is the worst division in the history of the National Football League. And he's been around a long pers- time, as have we. This is what I'm going to I'm going to give you my personal assessment of the NFC East. But but the amazing thing, fellas, is that the NFA East really, for so many years, was if not the best division of football, certainly the most competitive division of football, and the most entertaining division of football. How in the world could every single team bottom out at the same time so that they are now Setting a record is the worst. Welcome to 2020. That's all you yeah, can say. Yeah, that's true. 2020. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you had two teams in the the, the uh, Giants and the the, the uh, Washington football team that we didn't really expect much of. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys have just been, uh, you know, the injury, and they basically quit on Mike McCarthy. And then you have the Eagles. Um, the Eagles are just a case of, I think, the parts that they tried to put together just didn't work. Um, they don't work well together. They're, they, 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 um, Howie Roseman missed the ball on this one. The signings that they've made over the last couple of years have not paid off. Um, they gave Alshon Jeffrey all that much money, and I, 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 he's on the side of a milk carton. Um, Deshaun Jackson has spent more time in the training room than he spent on the field. Um, Malik Jackson's been anonymous. Uh, it's just bad personnel decisions all came home to roost at the same time for the Eagles this year. Oh, yeah, and Carson Wentz has just been awful. Well, also, Mike, I think and Roger's better because he sees every game. I'm, you know, I'm in Florida right now. I'll be back this weekend. But, uh, you know, I think uh, – you know, when Wentz lost his his, uh, his red butter tight end, I think that really hurt him. Uh, I mean, even Brady, I look at, he, he, when things are tough, he goes to Grunick. And that, I think that's what Wentz did. Everything, things got tough. He knew that he had one guy he could throw it to that would catch it and, uh, and then make, you know, yards after contact. He, he doesn't have anybody like that right now. And the line has, he's not confident. The line has been bad. He's the turnovers are on him. You know, the interceptions, oh. the lost fumbles. Uh, he is historically bad with the turnovers. What they have? Five? Roger, what they have? Five last I guess yeah, five, Dallas yeah. five? Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And won the game. Five turnovers. Well, How many games have you seen yeah. in the National Football League where you turned the ball over five times and you won? <laughs> Never. You don't see that unless you're playing the 2020 version of the Dallas Cowboys. Right. Well, the other thing is that they really want Doug Peterson. He said, we talked to him, we talked to him. But I'll tell you what, they missed Frank Wright and and, um, the uh, DeFilippo that was the quarterback's coach when they won the Mm -hmm. Super Bowl. 
and here's here's my opinion, and and uh, um, and Mike, you you can uh, give yours. I am not a Morning Mortingweg fan. I wasn't a fan of his when I attended press conferences when he was the offensive coordinator. I didn't like his uh, calls. Um, you know, he was with the uh, Ravens, and what did they do? They fired him as the offensive coordinator. And they and he was buddies with John Harbaugh because they were all on Andy Reid's staff. And I think that a lot of it is uh, is Marty Morningway because they don't have an offensive coordinator as such in, in name. And, of course, Doug calls all the plays. I think Doug needs to stop calling the plays. Okay, but, oh, no, no, I'm going to call the plays. I like calling the plays. Well, I remember I interviewed Jason uh, Garrett when he was doing that with the Cowboys and with uh, Tony Romo, Romeo. And and I'll tell you what, uh, what that the uh, then he had to get away from it. And now we're seeing that Jason Garrett, I think, is a very good offensive coordinator for the Giants. No, I agree with you. He doesn't have much talent to work with, Roger. Yeah. No, but I I, I like the way he he works with Jones. What do you think, Frank, about Morning Wake? Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right, uh, Roger. It, he's, uh, um, I, I think I was just discussing that with my grandson Brady uh, the other day. Whether whether it's whether is Wentz going bad or whether the whole coaching staff and we've come to the conclusion that uh, you know Doug's not making good calls. The defensive coordinator is is. He's he's way out in left field. He didn't even get to the, the field when he's there. Uh, right. And uh, I think that's uh, that's the problem. Uh, you know, I hate to hate to say it, but uh, you know, uh, th- this is the things that make uh, Bucks fans out of Eagles fans. Yeah, I think that right. you're going to see some wholesale changes on the Eagles coaching staff at the end of this year. I don't think they're going to do it during the season, but. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, uh, at a minimum, Marty Morningwig is gone. And, you know, Jim Schwartz may stay. He, he, he may have stayed with the Eagles one year past his effective date. You know, he was, you could start to see some trends at the end of last year where it wasn't exactly going great for him, but he could rely on, you know, we didn't have great secondary play. Um well, Mike, he's been considered, uh, you know, when he was the head coach, he's been considered as a, you know, a, one of the leading candidates from a defensive side of the ball. And, uh, yeah. but right now, maybe, you know, maybe it's a shortage of talent. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't think it's all coaching. I, I just, he, I mean, he hasn't lost, he hasn't lost his, uh, his knowledge of coaching. But, uh, oh, and wait a minute. How many points has he given up per game? He hasn't given up that many points. I, I think no. that uh, you always remember you can't fire all the players, but you can fire the coaching staff. That's right. That's right. Coaching staff and wins or lose the ball games out there. The prepper, they can only teach, talk to these football players so much or any sport about putting the plays in their hand. Now it's up to those guys to make the proper plays on the field to make the coaches successful. And the NFC, well, Tommy, um, when you go into each game, you, you figure, how many points do I have to, you know, Charles what? Barkley's great at this in the NBA. How many points do I have to score to win this game? And the way the game is played now, 
uh, with so much offense and so little defense because of what they've done with the game, uh, how many points do we have to score in order to win a game? And uh, right now, if you look at the teams in the NFC East, they can't score points. <laughs> they can score field goals. They can make field goals. That's about it. <laughs> but but you, you, you get back to that Giants game. Is, is that, you know, the you know J.C. Garrett did a great job, but wasn't affection on the field. And, you know, everybody says it's a quarterback, the wide receivers. No, you practice that place. Every every day of practice, practice that. But, you know, I mean, Jesse Garrett makes sure they do a practice in the field. Now it's up to the players to do that during the game and make the, make the results possible. And then the Giants team that got over through the, um, the, the receivers not once but twice for touchdowns. It could have been a different, different ball group for the Giants. Well, one of the things I really like to see, and maybe you three guys would all comment on this, especially – you know, Frank, because he's been so involved with officiating for such a long period of time. And I thought the fact that they turned the flag into a no call at the end of the Bucks game uh, after the discussion, and I think the call was 100% correct. And the fact yes. that they, at, at that pivotal part of the game, that they overruled themselves, I thought was a terrific move. Yeah. Great move. A great move by the officials. You know, this, the officials, any of sports officials, they they have they're right there bang make a judgment like that with no replay or nothing. A good example is that Don's hockey. I mean how fast hockey the hockey game is, this guy's gonna make it right on the spot. Bang, bang, bang play like that. Baseball too. But I, I think the fishing today and in, in all the sports I've been watching a little bit but has been has, has been you know me I'm only critical about the fishes. I've been very good and just be fair. Well, I'll tell you, the officiating has deteriorated at every level. And, uh, you know, the, uh, and, the, and the thing is, as we all know, especially Frank, the, it's very difficult to get uh, people into youth uh, officiating. And that's where mm-hmm. it all begins, okay? You know, I can mm-hmm. remember uh, – uh, you probably remember this uh, kid too, Don. Uh, he uh, – he was from the uh, Mercer County, and he played at Mercer for Howie Landa. But then he went to – he's on the Hall of Fame at Boston College in basketball because he used to uh, referee uh, our kids' games when I was uh, coaching in the Y years ago. And he just was so good with kids because he would instruct them. And I remember uh, there was one weekend he uh, wasn't there, and that's because he was up at uh, – uh, Chestnut Hill uh, going into the Boston College Hall of Fame. I'll get his name, hmm. but he played for Howie on those great uh, Mercer County teams. I guess they were, what, in the 70s, Don? Right. I, I, I can't recall who you're talking about, though. I, I'll, I'll get it. Uh, I'll get his name. Yeah. Go ahead. Gentlemen, hey, I got to take my leave of you. I've got an early morning tomorrow morning, but it was great talking to you, and I'll catch up with you guys. As always, Mike, thank you so much. Thanks a million. Take care. Take care, Mike, and uh, get ready for MLS and tell us what's going to happen there because (laughs) we're we're getting to the important part of what's happening in soccer. Take care. Take care, Mike. It was a great job. That was a great job. Now, is our resident PGA golfer on? Is he with us tonight? Is Doug? Is Doug yes, Hamilton sir. with us tonight? No, sir. He hasn't arrived yet. 
Uh, well, uh, what, what was I missed it, Doug? What was the score of the Pittsburgh uh, Raven game? I did. I never chance to see that. Did, did they did they finish that game on Sunday? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think they uh, they they were going to tie it up. Wasn't that it? It was a field goal, <laughs> and they never got the chance. Maybe I ought to talk to you about the Breeders' Cup this weekend and forget about the Ravens. Yeah. <laughs> also, the Masters next weekend, Don. You know, two weeks from two weeks from the from Thursday. You know, let's hope the weather in Augusta is like it is right now. It doesn't get cold or chilly or raining up there or that. But that should be that should be a great golf tournament. I always like to watch that and. You know, that's the, you know, the golf course such in great shape in that. You remember, like, player Trevino, you know, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nick was walking down that 18th fairway, the gallery was going nuts about that, and, you know, Arnie's army, Jack's pack, and Lee's fleas were, you know, were tidy. But what you guys used to like to watch when you went to tournament at White Horse, guys, I like to watch what the caddies did. The caddies would take that bag and sit on it, and have a cigarette, hold the flagship with a cigarette. So I said, Mike, uh, what a great job to get hooked with. You just drop doors, you know, all you do is carry a bag and, and hold, it, hold the flagstick. I know it's more than that, guys. I know it's more than that, but I was back in the 60s and 70s. But I think the great era of golf right there. So it's the, you know, hey, Don. You know, yeah. yeah. Yes. That's the Hall of Famer I was talking about, this name will come back to you Mel Weldon. Oh yes, I do. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember well now. Yes, <laughs> Mel Weldon. Uh, he, he he went in in '91, and uh, he, uh, he the uh, he, they played the uh, they went to the NIT finals, 21 and nine, and uh, they talked Skinner, about Bob, Skinner was the coach of that team. Bob Skinner was the coach he, of that. Bob Skinner, Skinner. I can't think. Maybe it's not Bob. Oh, oh. He played Al, Al Skinner. Al Skinner. Al Skinner, right. He played for the 76ers. Yeah. He coached yeah. at Boston College. I think he was there at that time. I think you're right. And uh, he, the uh, Mel was from New Jersey, but he played uh, one of those great teams that uh, Mercer County had that Howie Landa uh, coached. And I'll tell you what, I'll never forget. I love Howie. And and he wrote a great book, and but he was you know he when he was out at the UNLV with Tarkanian, and then he went right. I think he went to the women's program, so he and I had lunch, and then there was this high school coach that was with him, and he came into the MGM, and I want to say everybody on the staff there all knew hey coach coach coach, and Uh-oh. it was like it was like unbelievable, but that's the way he was. Just a, a a terrific guy, and I know Don, you were friends with him long before I was. I mean, you go way well, back. Well, the funny thing out. was, remember their, their campus was right downtown, at, uh for a long period of time. And uh, right. when he started, when he started to coach, nobody heard of the basketball program there. And he took that basketball program and he made it a national item. Wow! National championships in junior college. That's right. Mm. That's right. And then anyway, people couldn't believe that how small that school was at the beginning. Yeah, and, and remember they used to have the national junior college soccer championships at Mercer County every year for years. 
But, yep. you know, Frank, yep. that's why I was bringing him up, because he was a great example of a, a – a, and he became a, a, an official high school. I don't know if he's in college or not, but he was so good with kids. To you know, uh, t- telling them what they did wrong and and to correct it when he'd make the call, and and I think that's that's what uh, they need more today, you know. But it, you're you know you're involved in it, isn't it tough getting youth officials today? Oh. Frank must be on the phone with uh, Doug, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to get hold. He must be trying yeah, to get he, all of Doug. Yeah, yeah uh, Frank, it, isn't it? It's it's tough to to develop officials today and, yeah. and to get them to to do youth sports and everything. But it's almost yeah, every level, Roger. I don't care whether it's Major League Baseball or the National Football League or college. It's very very difficult to bring these uh, young folks along that uh, maybe start out in high school and then move up slowly. Uh, you know. It's fun. it's tough to it's tough to come up with some good officials. It is actually wow. the, the class this year for uh, uh, FSA uh, Florida uh, uh, Interscholastic. Um, we had um, uh, thirty uh, applicants come in. Um, you know they have to start out doing CYO ball, Pop Warner ball, and right. all these small balls. Uh, unfortunately, that only pays $25 a game, but they get three or four games on a weekend. They can work Saturday right. and Sunday. They make a couple hundred dollars, which sounds like a lot of a lot of uh, fun and a lot of them, but it is a lot of work. Um, the, the problem is that the quality of calls uh, seem to be um, because of some of the changes, the rule changes. Even the assigners are having problems uh, getting guys that uh, – because, you know, whoever the white hat is uh, has the report on everybody, <clears throat> everybody on the field. And uh, it's very tough to um, get people um, to be, um, you know, if they're, if they're not good, they're, they're letting them out. And sometimes uh, over the years we've had uh, officials just slide through because they were uh, um, uh, legacies. And uh, you're seeing that on, in high school where they may not be uh, making the, uh, the proper calls or they may not be, be sitting in the right place. But um, as you move up, <clears throat> it takes a long time. You have to have a mentor to move from uh, Pop Warner to, to uh, high school. Of uh, course, you go Pop Warner to uh, junior high school, then to high school, and then to, to college. And uh, just to move from... You have uh, in the in the west coast of Florida, you have 425 officials that are high school certified or small college certified, see, uh, you know, right. two or three um, division. And uh, then when you get up to the to the uh, senior division, which is uh, one, uh, you've only got uh, 96, and figure you got six guys on the field every weekend. Um, you know, the, the big deal there is you have to be sequestered on Friday night. You have to watch the films. You have to, to be able to um, talk to your uh, uh, lead official. He's got to tell you what he wants to tell you, and then you got to go out on the field. You screw up, you're back doing Pop Warner. Wow. Mm. Uh, well, and, 
it's a it's not e- it's not an easy game and it's not an easy uh, uh, call a lot of times. No, it is not. And I'll tell you, Roger, you and I grew up with a guy, Jack Ben, and Jack, of course, was yeah. from Trenton, and and uh, in fact, him, I think, uh, I don't think I I know if, uh, he lives in Atlanta. Maybe you run into him every once in a while because. Uh, late in his career, he moved down to Atlanta. I'm assuming he still lives there. And uh, he was one of the great young N- NBA officials. And, uh, you know, they said when he first came into the league, he was never afraid to call a technical foul. <laughs> you know, the, the best coaches in the world and uh, or or the best players in the world. He stepped right in and very quickly moved along. And he was a really a very, very, very competent, very steady NBA mm. official, uh, we were lucky enough to sort of grow up with him, and then I broadcast a hell of a lot of games that he he officiated. He was a terrific guy. Well, yeah, we also had a, yeah, we had a situation um, where there was a guy who was actually a Villanova graduate, Donahue. Uh, he and his father both were, were um, officials in uh, PIAA and then in, into the uh, Big Five and then did NCAA. Um, he moved up into got uh, because of his father's connections. He moved up into the NBA, and uh, actually he moved to Sarasota, lived down in Lakeland, uh, Lake uh, Lakewood Ranch, and unfortunately couldn't afford uh, the house. Uh, so he started uh, um, collecting extra money on the side from certain uh, groups, and uh, oh, got yeah, caught. Remember that? And and did yeah. jail time. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so it's a it's a shame that that, that uh, some guys ruin it for everybody else. But uh, you know, the quality I agree well, with you. The quality of officiating across the board has has uh, it de- deteriorated quite a bit. Frank, well, I'll Joey tell you, Crawford. I, I... Joey mm-hmm. Crawford, Frank. Joey right. Crawford was uh, selling his uh, first class tickets and then getting coached and pocketing the money. I mean, that's yep. ridiculous to do. You're talking about a small amount, and you and you ruin your career. I mean, he he was suspended, but then they let him back. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the the, 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 that, yeah, uh, the Frank Frank yeah. is talking about. Uh, his father was one of the. I'll tell you, you talk about feeling sorry for somebody. I, I I his father was one of the nicest guys. He refereed the Big Five. He he refereed every major college game. I when I was, I mean. I would say he worked two, three games a week, and uh, he, he was he was such a competent official and such a high class guy. And uh, Frank, as you said, his son he got his son started and he moved him right up and he went to the NBA. And if there was ever a guy you felt sorry for, it, it wasn't for the it, it wasn't for the gambler. I felt sorry for his father because yeah. he was such a great guy. Well, the athletic director, Don at Bucknell, uh, when Ashley was there, might have been a, a little bit. No, it was when she was there because I was on the parents' board. And one of the deans said, he said to uh, the AD, uh, he says, oh, I'm glad I get to see you on TV because I don't see you here. And uh, the guy was doing like 50-some college games a year, and here he is, a Division One athletic director. Now what what is suffering when you're doing fifty some college basketball? Games? Well, as, as Frank said, and I I agree with one hundred percent. You two, uh, uh, Tommy, Tommy looks at officials in a different light than we do. But 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a tough. It, let me tell you, I don't care what level you're 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 an official. It is a very very tough job. I mean, and, and uh, you, you never get anybody say you're good. <laughs> All they do is complain yeah. about the calls that are iffy. You know, guys, you know, we're up against our time limit time. here. Tick tick tock, tick tick tock. Oh, okay. I just was going to say, Don, you know, uh, Anda Mills said to me that now that she's an official versus coach, she said now she gets yelled at by people she never knew before, whereas with coaching it was people she did know. I thought that was a great analogy. Well, it's a great week. Thank you, Frank, as always. Great job. We love you. God bless. And, Tommy, always good that you're back to hear your strong voice. Mr. Henderson, Mr. Big, my good friend, always a pleasure to be with you. All right, gentlemen, always great once again this week. Sorry we missed Doug Hamilton, but we'll catch him next week. And uh, uh, I'll tell you, maybe we'll have a president by tomorrow. Yeah, right. <laughs> for a different topic, for a different maybe show. Maybe by next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks yeah. a lot, fellas. Talk to you next week. Thank you. Take, Take care, care. Don. Thank you, Roger. Take care, Roger. Most important thing. I'd like to thank all our guests who came on, Mike Schultz from the Outback Ball. Of course, the regulars, uh, Mike Simzak for soccer. We missed Doug Hamilton this week. Always a pleasure to have Roy Cummings on this week. Frank, from my family to your family, have a beautiful, blessed week, and let's, let's go Eagles. Okay, Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women of the Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. It's a very tough time for those in uniform around the country. This program, this program is also dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Handler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Onofo Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Alon- Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Godwin, I'm sorry, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire, De- Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kotloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Corporal, I'm sorry, Captain uh, Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope. Wilmington Fire Department, FDLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Boward, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, L.A. County, uh, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Bucks, Kentucky Police Department, and Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. 
May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and all the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the gallow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week.